Well, good morning. A little power up. It's going to be extra boost for today. Welcome to Bridgewater's Open House. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And you've chosen a great day to be here with all the Mario fun and all of that. I remember the very first Christmas when my brother and I received the Nintendo Entertainment System. And uh, we played Mario. We played Duck Hunt. We played The Legend of Zelda, Kung Fu, and all those games for hours and hours and hours. So maybe today uh, for you is just fun. For me, it's extremely nostalgic. And all of the good memories are, are coming flooding back to me. By the way, does anyone know when Mario Brothers first debuted? The year was 1983, and it first uh, hit uh, um, an arcade game, an arcade uh, console, but then 1985, it was made for the Nintendo Entertainment System. It was developed by Shigeru Miyamoto uh, in Japan, and he and a couple of colleagues put together this Mario world, the Mario Land, and... And then one of, their, uh, one of the, the big three was the designer for all of the music that you hear, and you've been hearing all morning long. If you're annoyed, you can blame him. If you're bopping along, you can thank him. Uh, and either, either way, uh, it's just a really fun time. And today we're kicking off a brand new series that we're calling Starting Point. We actually run a class multiple times through the year with this name, with materials that we have gotten from North Point Community Church, and we have just decided this is so important, this is so valuable, we think this is so vital for everyone that rather than reserve it for a class, we're going to bring everyone through this whole thing uh, beginning today and then for the next seven weeks. And I think, and we think, that if you would commit to being here today and then the next seven weeks, it may very well change your life. You know, we believe in this that strongly. So, um, everyone and everything has a starting point. A game, a relationship, a family, a nation, um, a career, all has a starting point. The question I want you to answer today is, is behind me. What is your starting point of faith? What is the starting point of your faith? Think about for a second, what are, your, what are your earliest memories of God? Someone had a conversation with you. You heard something. It was a song. It was a teacher. It was a parent. It was a grandparent. It was an older sibling or an aunt or an uncle. They said something to you about God, about church, or about spirituality. You learned from your parents. You went to a backyard Bible club, and a teacher there told you something. You went to a vacation Bible school. Your parents got rid of you for a week one summer and uh, brought you to all the vacation Bible schools, and you heard a whole bunch of things about that. And normally, our understanding of spirituality and of a relationship with God begins with some assumptions. And these assumptions are really the things that we hear at first. We just kind of latch onto them because this is kind of new information. We're just being, for the first time, aware that there should be a connection between us and something else, a higher power, a higher something. And we have that awareness. And what we hear in those, in those key introductory moments is really, really important and ends up forming our faith for a long period of our life. I mean, consider some of the things that you may have heard when you were young. You may have heard, God punishes evil and rewards good. And so you had better behave, right? You better just look out. You heard that God helps those who help themselves. So you need to get to work, right? You may have heard, God answers prayer. So you better just keep up your communication with God throughout your life just so that you're always kind of connected. 
You might have heard that God will weigh your actions, so you better be careful what you do because your good needs to outweigh your bad. There are more. I mean, maybe for you, it's, I grew up in a, in a Christian family. I think we're good. You know, my parents were involved in some important things um, in church. They did some great things for people. Maybe for you, you just learned that God existed, right? He's, he's just there, but it really had nothing to do with your everyday life or anything else. For me, I remember when I was very young, I learned God is watching you. And that was it. I learned more than that, but I remember that key moment. God is watching you. So for me, I was like, he's, he's, I better be careful. But I remember those moments when bad things, diff, disappointing things, difficult things in my life would happen. And I'm thinking, if God is watching me, then why, is, why are the things that are happening to me actually happening? Now, it's not that those things are wrong, totally, or even all bad. It's just that they don't really stand up over the course of life. You see, life's experiences inevitably knock some of the wind out of your sails and cause you to doubt the things that you thought you believed. Real life has a way of eroding some of those core and foundational beliefs. God answers prayer, but you prayed prayers God didn't answer. Where is he? God rewards good and punishes evil, but you've seen plenty of good people, plenty of bad people get away with stuff and good people be punished. And so life just has a way of eroding some of those core beliefs, and eventually you find that the things you thought were true and you could hold closely don't really hold up to real life. Are you guys nervous? <laughs> All it takes is one wrong pressure, one false move, one of those foundational beliefs that you had held tightly to for a long, long time to be discounted or to be proven untrue, and what happens to it? <laughs> you thought it was supposed to happen there? No, it's happening here. And maybe you've grown up. You've gone your whole life. But your faith hasn't grown up with you. What then? What then when the beliefs that you held so tightly don't hold up over time. It's like this. Karen Armstrong writes in her book, The Case for God. Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time as we were told about Santa Claus. While our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he existed. And why does that happen? It happens because these things, these foundations for our faith, these starting points are based on what we do. They're based on hearsay. They're based on our experience or they're based on some kind of tradition. And they and any number of other beliefs about God and humanity, not only in the world, but in this room, are probably shaky. 
The question I want us to wrestle with this morning is, are those beliefs, are your core assumptions about your starting point of faith in God good enough? Are they a sure enough foundation? Can they stand the test of time? Or do you find yourself this morning a little bit jaded by the whole Christian experience? And maybe someone today gave you the promise of chicken barbecue or a little bit of fun for your kids, and so you're like, fine. I'll put up with an hour of something. But I'm telling you, God has let me down. And I'm just not sure about this whole thing. And we're not the only people to have ever wrestled with this. The only people who have ever needed to wrestle with something like this. There were a group of people living in A.D. 55 who were wrestling with some very important issues as well. They were wondering about what in the world happens after death. When, when all this is over, when everything that we know is over, what happens? And a man named Paul was sent to them, and he went to them as an apostle of Jesus to talk to them about the starting point of their faith. And he reveals to them that the only worthy foundation or starting point of faith is something other than what they thought. You see, they kind of had the information. They sort of knew what was going on. He's not even telling them something they didn't know. He's just saying what you know, this thing that you've heard is actually the starting point. It's not all the other things that you were told over the course of your life. It's this. It's not based on what someone said. It's not based on tradition. It's not even based on what you do. It's based on what's already been done, something that really happened. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is take a look at something that was written less than 25 years after Jesus rose from the dead. I want to read one of the oldest writings we have about Jesus and Christianity. It's older. It's one of the first five or six books written in the New Testament, older than Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the eyewitness accounts we have about Jesus' life. The book is 1 Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, here's what Paul writes. Let me remind you now, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. It is this good news that saves you. I passed on to you what was most important. Other translations will say of first importance, which sounds like a starting point. And what also had been passed on to me. And what is this good news that saves you? What is Paul so excitedly going to bring to their attention? It's this. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Now, this was written somewhere between 25 and 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. So soon after that point that there were still hundreds of people who witnessed the resurrection still alive and around. So what is the starting point of Christianity? The death and resurrection of Jesus is the starting point of Christianity. That's it. If you've been around church any length of time, you know about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today, we need to make sure that we know it the way that Paul was wanting his readers to know it. Paul doesn't point to childhood teachings, human experience, or some mystical ideas. He doesn't point to family heritage or background. He doesn't point... Uh, point to the importance of doing good things. He points to a real event that was witnessed and then has been recorded for us in the rest of the scriptures. He doesn't say the starting point of faith in God is believing in God and being good. Do good and go to heaven. Do bad and go to hell. He doesn't even recommend making a deal with God. You know, I tell you what, you help me out, I will do what you want. I wonder how many of us have had moments like that in our lives. God, I need you to come through for me. If you do, I'll tell you what, I'll do you a solid. 
I will attend a church somewhere for the next six months, for the next year, whatever it is. Paul confidently writes, it's not about all that. He bases the whole entire thing on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. But why should they and why should you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Paul says, because this has been written about in the scriptures. And he's not talking about the recent scriptures. He's not talking about the New Testament, second part of the Bible, contemporary of Jesus' scriptures. He's talking about old, ancient writings, scriptures. He's talking about things that, hap- that were recorded and prophesied, predicted a thousand years, 700 years before they actually happened. He's talking about Psalm 22 that talks about the death of Jesus, talking about Jesus being crucified, talking about a type of death that hadn't even been invented yet. Psalm 22, check it out. It talks about Jesus' crucifixion. He's talking about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, written 700 years before Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, talking about Jesus' suffering, talking about him being mocked, talking about him dying, and then talking about him rising again. That's what he's talking about. So not only were there eyewitnesses who have seen this thing, but there are prophets who have foreseen this thing, and he's saying, that's what I'm talking about. That's why you should believe. So, He said the ancient writings and prophecies pointed to this. Someone died, someone was buried, and someone was raised back to life. And why is that even a big deal? That seems kind of weird. I mean, think about it. People die every single day. Do they not? People are buried every single day. But only one person has been resurrected to date. I'm talking resurrected never to die again. So let's look at why Paul says this is so significant. Because I think it's possible that you've been around Christianity or church or or organized religion long enough that you just hear about the death and resurrection of Jesus and just like, oh yeah, totally. Like it's, it's a given. Paul says this is, no, no. This is huge. And here's why. Look at verse, beginning in verse 14, chapter 15. If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. You see, Paul said you can throw out all of your assumptions on all the things you heard, all the, all the little special, unique beliefs that you heard when you were a kid and kind of grew up believing God is watching you and you need to behave and God rewards good and punishes evil and, and God helps those who help themselves. You can throw out all that kind of stuff and you can still have something. And if you have the something you have is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you have what you need. Yeah, I'm afraid many of us in this room have, have been responding to God based on the assumptions and things that we were taught when we were, we were real little and have found that those things have just taken hits over the years and have left us someplace we didn't think we would be because your experience has, has not matched what you were told. And Paul is saying, you can, you can do away with all of that. Clear it all out. The foundation is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you throw out the resurrection... 
you're left with nothing. You have nothing. So that's it. The starting point of Christianity and the only worthy starting point for your faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. It's because of what has been done. Jesus died for your sins. He offers you forgiveness, hope, and a right relationship with God. Let's go back to verse 17. I want us to capture this. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. What Paul is unveiling there is that there is something that can happen for you today. That though you and I stand before God guilty because of the resurrection, we can literally stand before God guiltless because Jesus died our death, though innocent, pronounced guilty, though sinless, pronounced sinful so that we could be pronounced innocent and we could be forgiven. Just as the heart pumps life-giving blood to every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot on which Christianity turns and without which none of the other truths would much matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking taking its place alongside human philosophy and other religious speculation. Without the resurrection, salvation could not have been provided. And without belief in the resurrection, salvation cannot be received. The resurrection makes forgiveness of sins possible. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you and I cannot be forgiven. We're hopeless. This is pointless. Let's just go eat chicken. But what Paul's saying to us is he did rise from the dead. Sin couldn't keep him down, nor could death. So today he offers you forgiveness of sin, power over sin, and life after death. Here's the simple truth. It's not that good people go to heaven. Forget about that. Forgiven people go to heaven. And here's a question I have for you. Is the Jesus who died and rose again your forgiver? Has that transaction been made? Today I'm asking you to clear out all the other clutter and just wrestle with that one thing. If Jesus really lived, really died, and really rose again for my forgiveness, have I received that from him? That's what I want you to think about. This is the starting point of Christianity, and this can become the starting point of your faith today. Cling to this one. It's the most important. It is the only foundation that can put up to the rigors and pressures of life that tend to erode things that we thought we once believed. It happened. It's been done. And it changes everything. And I'm wondering how the resurrection of Jesus Christ today should change you. What's going to happen is I'm going to pray 
I'm going to invite the, the band up. They're going to sing a song for you. You're going to remain seated. It's a, it's a new song we're introducing, and what I would like you to do while they sing and, and you pay attention to the words of this song, wrestle with the question, how should the resurrection of Jesus Christ change me? That's it. And I'll come talk to you again here in a minute. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you. I thank you that my security, my forgiveness, my hope is not based on me, but based on you. And not even based on something that I could do or have done, but based on what Jesus has done. I don't know your agenda for each of the individuals listening today, but you do. And I'm asking that you accomplish your purpose today in each of our hearts. I pray that we would be open to what you have for us today. And when it's clear to us what we ought to do, how we need to respond, you would give us the will to follow through. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.